All right, if you have your Bible, please turn to the Gospel according to Luke. We'll continue our series there. We're finishing Luke, or not finishing, getting close to finishing Luke 19. It's like, wait, there's a few more verses for next week. So we will save verses 45 to 48 for next week. It'll be Luke 19, 28 to 44 for today. It always feels good when you finish something, and even worse when you think that you did and you didn't. So Luke 19... 28 to 44, that will be our text, and we're continuing as we've been doing the last couple of weeks, continuing the underlining in the PowerPoint for those younger ones who are beginning to write and beginning to take notes. And again, if you, if you can write the whole thing, that's great, and if not, hopefully those underlined words will help you to be able to take away some of the key things from today's message. So, The story we're looking at today is Jesus in kind of a royal procession coming to Jerusalem. He's been on his way to Jerusalem for a long time, and now he's finally coming in. It's known to us as the triumphal entry. Uh, Usually, uh, we would talk about this on like Palm Sunday, and we'd have a scripture reading. Uh, You won't find any palms in here, uh, but don't worry, it's not a made-up thing It's in the other Gospels. Luke just doesn't happen to mention them. So Palm Sunday is still okay. But let's read this passage that marks the beginning of the Passion Week. Of that time when Jesus suffered in our place, taking all God's wrath on him. So that we could belong to him both now and forever. So Luke 19, beginning in verse 28. And when he had said these things, he's referring back to the parable of the minas from a couple weeks ago, using everything that we have for Jesus. When he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village in front of you. Where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus. And throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Let's pray. 
Oh God, we ask that as we consider your word, as we consider Jesus, the King who comes in the name of the Lord, would you help us to see him in his glory and to receive him, to worship him, to give him the honor that he is so worthy of. Would you do this in our hearts? That as we see him, we would worship. That's the goal of all this. And then that worshiping him, we would be changed. And we would be like him. And we would live as glad citizens of his kingdom even as we wait for him to come again and make all things new. So God, would you work now? Would you help me to say what I should and not what I shouldn't? Would you help each one of us to respond the way that you would have us respond? We ask for your help now. So Holy Spirit, please come lead us, guide us, strengthen us. In Jesus' name, amen. The big idea this morning is this, Jesus, God's promised king, is worthy of our praise. Jesus, God's promised king, is worthy of our praise. So it's not Palm Sunday today, it's actually Trinity Sunday today, like we opened with Holy, 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 but it's where we are as we're going through the gospel of Luke. And the point isn't about the branches. As I said, they're not even mentioned here. But even where they are mentioned, the point isn't about the branches themselves. The point is recognizing Jesus as God's promised king, rejoicing in his works and bowing down before him. That's what we're going to be talking about today. Jesus, God's promised king, who is worthy of our praise. So let's see first that Jesus is God's promised king. What are the hints or even the way more than hints that we find in this passage? As Jesus goes on that path toward Jerusalem, he knew exactly what was coming. This is where Luke's gospel has been pointing all along, even some of the language that we hear, right? Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. That sounds familiar, not from Palm Sunday, but from Christmas, right? Where in Luke chapter 2, one of the best known passages perhaps in all the Bible, that story of Jesus' birth and then the angels telling his praise to the shepherds. It's glory to God in the highest. Peace on earth among those with whom he is pleased. And so there are ways in which this is an intentional callback to the beginning of the gospel of Luke, but not just Luke 2. Even in Luke 1, when we're told of one who will come to redeem his people. But it's not just about Luke's gospel and having it an internal message in the gospel of Luke that Jesus is the king, the one who's coming in the name of the Lord, and the one who deserves God's praise. This is something that's been going on for centuries. As Aaron led us in the beginning, and we read through Zechariah 9, 9 and 10, this is a path 
that Jesus has been on and it has been promised that he would be on like forever. He's fulfilling prophecy in writing the cult, but also in what the people say. In verse 38, they say, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And that is from Psalm 118, which is one of the psalms that people would have sung together as they were on their way to worship the Lord together in Jerusalem for Passover. That's what's coming this week. That's why everyone is going to Jerusalem, is for the Passover. And one of the psalms that they would sing is Psalm 118, where they say, Blessed is the one, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And it's slightly adjusted here in Luke to make explicit who Jesus is. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. So riding the colt fulfills an Old Testament promise. The praise that he receives is the ultimate fulfillment of Psalm 118. Jesus is God's promised king. We also see him refer to himself as the Lord, right? You may wonder, you know, what about the cold? And isn't, isn't that interesting? Like, he tells the disciples, go and do this, and, it, and it's repeated. It's like, this, this must matter a little bit. Is it, is it really about just like getting the cult? Or what is that about? Well, Jesus knows what's happening. We said that just a moment ago. Jesus knows what's coming, right? It's been prophesied, but he himself has prophesied this time. And we'll see him make even more prophecies in this last week before his death and his resurrection. More prophecies about what will happen. He makes one here concerning Jerusalem as he weeps over Jerusalem. But Jesus knows exactly what's going to happen. So some have said, well, maybe he knew the the owner because he's been in this area before. That's possible, but it could also just be The Lord needs it, and so it belongs to him. Jesus is the God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and here he lays claim to a colt to fulfill prophecy and to carry him, God's promised Messiah, into the city where he would give his life for his people. And we see that for the disciples, verse 32, those who were sent went away and found it, just as he had told them. And that's what happens. When Jesus tells us things, it happens just the way that he said. We think even about his resurrection, right? He's not here. He is risen as he said. So it's not just about a cult. He's already promised that he is going to be rejected. He's already told his disciples three times, I'm going to be rejected, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die, I'm going to rise. They didn't understand it yet, but here it is again. Jesus knows what he's doing. Way back in chapter 9, he set his face toward Jerusalem, and now he's finally looking right at it, coming down the Mount of Olives. He knows exactly who he is, what he's doing, what he is about to do. Even in his suffering, he is the Lord. This reminds us that what happens to Jesus is not an accident. As I've 
said several times in this series. He's not just someone who is in the wrong place at the wrong time and happened to say the wrong thing and ends up on a cross. It's like, whoop, shouldn't have said that. You should have known not to say that. This is not that kind of moment. Jesus knew exactly what he would do. That he would give his life for sinners like you and like me, who 2,000 years later would hear this good news and believe and belong to him and live with him both now and forever. Even in his suffering, he's the Lord. His life will not be taken from him. He will lay it down. And on this day, everything seems pretty good, right? The people are praising him. But it's not just fun and games, not just people bowing down to Jesus. He knows he will wear a crown of thorns. That's the kingly crown he knew he was coming to Jerusalem to wear. He died, he rose, and he ascended. And even now, as God's promised king, he is at the Father's right hand. He is interceding for us, praying for us, that we would make it to the end in our faith. And he sent his spirit to help us. He is a good king, and he is God's promised king, fulfilling all all those promises all the way back from Genesis 3 about the seed of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent. Yes, his heel was bruised. There was a cost, but he won the victory and it's what he is entering Jerusalem to do. Jesus is God's promised king and Jesus deserves praise. He deserves all the praise that we can bring. As we sang, he is indeed worthy. And that song comes from Revelation 5, where around the throne of God, his people are singing his praise from every tribe, from every tongue, from every nation. Jesus is worthy, and he deserves our praise. We see this in several ways here in the text for today. We see also the cult. The Lord has need of it, and he's worthy of it. It all belongs to him. But then they begin throwing their cloaks on the cult for him to ride. And this is something that would be done for a king, for royalty, to honor him. He can't ride directly on the colt. He needs to be on a saddle. And the closest thing they had to it was their outer garments, their coats, that they put on the colt. This colt that had never been ridden before. That is perfectly ready (laughs) to carry Jesus. Um, Kids, you may not get that right away, and even adults, sometimes we can forget. It matters that he's sitting on a colt on which no one has ever yet sat. Because the first time somebody tries to sit on a colt on which no one has ever yet sat, sitting isn't exactly what you're doing. It takes a while and it takes work to break a colt, to have it do what it's supposed to do, to have it under control, doing what you want it to do. But Jesus, who's the king, can say, 
I'm riding you into Jerusalem today. <laughs> and the cult says, yes, sir, I'm right on that. Um, that's, I'm reading a little bit into the text for that, just so kids don't take that um, literally. But you have this cult that should be wild, should be out of control. And with Jesus, he's at peace, doing exactly what the master has given him to do. So they throw cloaks on the cult, honoring him. And then, as they go, his disciples begin throwing their cloaks on the road. And you think, they're just going to get stepped on by a cult. That's not, that's not cool. And the road isn't like our roads today. It'd be a dirt road. It'd be dusty. What is it to throw your cloaks on the road and then to have more and more people do that? Well, just like he couldn't sit directly on that colt, they were honoring him by saying you shouldn't even have to put your feet on the road. Even the feet of your animal that's carrying you shouldn't even have to be on the road. It's like a special runway for the bride at a wedding. You ever seen those? Those are a little bit tricky because you can only pull them out once. There's no like getting them back in once they're rolled. And so the worst is when you're at the rehearsal and they're like, okay, we're ready. And it's like, no, 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 not that. (laughs) But there's always a little question on the day of the wedding. Is it going to unroll the way that we intend it to? Will it be flat enough? Because the last thing you want is the bride to trip over the cool thing for her to walk on on the way down the aisle. But why do we do that? And why do they do that after everyone else has come down the aisle? It's her special day. It's a way to honor her. Just as we all turn and watch her come in, that is the, that is the triumphal entry of her life. And we honor her. And one of the ways we honor her is that you shouldn't even have to step on the same ground that everyone else steps on on the way. Or like a red carpet for the stars. They don't deserve to walk on the ground like everyone else because they're different, they're special, they're above us. Some of us, (laughs) not Sally. (laughs) So as Jesus is coming down, he's being given the star treatment, the royal treatment. You are entering into your place to receive your glory. And that's what should happen when Jesus comes in. That's the proper response to him. What they're doing is what they should have done. You know, we don't throw our coats on the ground a whole lot anymore to let people walk on them. But that's what they're doing. It's like rolling out the red carpet for Jesus, saying, you are worthy. You deserve our praise. He is the king who comes in the name of of the Lord. So peace in heaven and glory in the highest indeed. He deserves our praise and he will be praised. So right after this declaration, which here in Luke, Luke focuses on the whole multitude of his disciples because some people have wrestled over like, well, how does, if it's this massive crowd and how does this massive crowd cheer for Jesus on Sunday and cheer for Jesus to be crucified later that same week? How can they be like that? How can they be so wishy-washy? And surely there would have been some people who are just like caught up in the moment. It's like, okay, we're praising him and not really even knowing what they're doing or thinking like, 
yeah, this seems like a good guy to be affiliated with right now. I mean, he's being honored like a king. But then they're also kind of going with the way that the wind blows. And just a few days later, uh, even his own disciples are saying, who's that guy? Uh, we, okay, what are we shouting? Right, crucify him. That's what we're doing. And we're familiar with that, even in the way certain things happen in our culture and that we've been seeing come to the surface this week, where we will do things in a group that we would never do alone. No matter which side of anything that you find yourself on, there are times where you say, like, I would, I would never do that. But when other people are doing it too, here we go. So that can be a good thing, a force for good, to help people do the right thing when they'd be too afraid to on their own. It can also be a force for bad, and we kind of see both going on with the crowds. But Luke is focusing on the disciples. And these disciples, they know who Jesus is. Even if they don't fully understand that he's going to die in a few days, they know that he is God's promised king. They know that he is the Messiah and that he is worthy of praise. So it's not exactly the same crowd that's bowing down to him today and crucifying him later in the week. It's, it's not exactly the same crowd. Maybe there were some people on the edges of it who were also on the edges later. But you have the disciples praising the Lord. And then later in the week, you have the chief priests, the scribes, the Sadducees. Those are the ones who are making sure that Jesus is put to death. But before we get to all those guys, because they'll be the focus kind of of the rest of the opposition to Jesus in this gospel, the Pharisees, who we've seen a lot of as we've walked through Luke, they get their last mention here. Right after Jesus' disciples say, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Verse 39. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. So the Pharisees um, you've noticed as we walk through Luke, they're not exactly big fans of Jesus. Uh, they don't like people liking him, people honoring him, thinking of him as a great teacher. They certainly don't like, and we could say maybe for good reason, they don't like that people are talking about a man as being the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Like, you, they, they can't do that. This is wrong. And they feel like they can't control the other people, so they just go right to the leader and say, look, they can't talk about you like that, right? You need to stop them. Rebuke them. Tell them not to do that. But Jesus, instead of saying, you're right, I'm not really all that. I mean, I'm a great, I'm better than you, but I'm not God. Instead of that, he says, look, if they didn't do this, the stones around us on this path would. Jesus deserves our praise, and he will be praised by us, by someone else, even by the creation itself. That is how worthy he is. And now, it is a strange mental picture, right? Think about stones, like, you know, would they have mouths? How would they, how would they do this exactly? I don't know. And that wasn't really Jesus' point, I think, as much as saying even the creation, even this broken creation knows its king. 
Just like that donkey knew its king, the rocks know their king too. Even the inanimate creation knows its king and bends to his will and offers him the praise that he is worthy of. Now, they didn't need to do it on that day because his disciples were praising him. But all creation knows its king. And all creation groans, waiting for its king to come again. Paul says this in Romans 8, that all creation groans, waiting for its redemption. Waiting for our redemption. When Jesus is revealed, and we are fully revealed as the sons and daughters of God that we are, the creation will be made new. And these rocks can't wait Way back in chapter 3, John the Baptist said that God could raise up children of Abraham from stones if necessary. It's like, if you guys aren't going to repent, God's going to get his praise. He's going to have his people. And here Jesus says, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Even in this broken version of the world. But the Pharisees here, it, it kind of puts a damper on the, the mood, right? It's like, here he is, he's the king, he deserves all praise, and we're reminded that rejection is coming. That not everyone will acknowledge him as king. He came to a broken world that would reject him. He'd come as the king, not recognized, but rejected instead. This one, who shouldn't ever have had to get even his sandals dirty, humbled himself, became one of us, took on the form of a servant, and was obedient to his father all the way to the death of the cross. He gave his life for us. And that's another reason that he deserves our praise. Verse 37 As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. So again, Luke's highlight here is not on, well, here's a bunch of people who don't really know what's going on. Here are people who've been with Jesus. They've been watching him. They've seen his way of life. They've seen his love. They've heard his teaching. They've seen the mighty works that he has done. And now as he's coming into the capital city, they can't help but say he is worthy. They can't help but say blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. They praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. And they didn't even understand yet what mighty works he would do for them. And so how much more reason do we have to praise the Lord? He has done so much more than he had done even up to that point. He had done enough for them to know he is God's promised king, even when they didn't understand all that that meant. And now we, on the other side of the cross and resurrection and ascension, who understand more fully than even the 12 did at this point, how much more reason do we have to praise God for his wonderful works, the mighty works that have been accomplished for us in Jesus? 
And that leads us to think about what does it mean to respond to him? What does responding to Jesus look like? If he is God's promised king, if he deserves our praise, how do we respond to him? Well, first, recognize and receive Jesus as king. This has been a a point or could have been a point in any number of sermons from Luke. Luke wants us to see that Jesus is the king. And he wants us to be like the disciples who see that he's the king. Even if we don't fully understand, even if we don't always get it, even if we're slow, he wants us to recognize and receive Jesus as king. Jesus has come and he is coming Again, the point of this story and many others in Luke is to help us ask the question, will we be ready? And that's the point of these last few verses. He came in humility and he is coming in judgment. Verse 41 says, when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Jesus wept. This is the only time in Luke, there's a famous one in John where Jesus cries at Lazarus' grave before he raises him. But this is the only time in Luke that Jesus weeps. And this word, you know, it's like wept, it's, I don't use that word a whole lot um, just in regular conversation. And the word underneath that, you know, well, does, is it kind of like a soft weeping? Just kind of like a Oh, a little tear, and then I go on. No. The idea is that this is crying that you can hear. Not just a single tear. It's something that's deep within him. It's a groan. It's agony over these people, this city that will reject him. So Jesus wept, but not softly. And so here, See his compassion. Jesus is the king, the king who gives his life for his people, and he's the king who cares. Jesus cries aloud, weeping over even those he will ultimately judge. Jesus is a compassionate king, and even now he is calling us to turn And to follow him. And so if you do not yet belong to Jesus, if you don't recognize and haven't received Jesus as your king, trusting in him alone to save you from your sins and to give you life with him both now and forever, he calls out to you today in compassion. He cries over you today. Because judgment is coming. They didn't know the things that make for peace. They did not know the time of their visitation. They did not recognize that their king had come. Instead, they rejected him. Said, we don't want you as our king. Just a few days later, what would the crowd shout? We have no king but Caesar. They rejected Jesus as their king, and there was judgment. What Jesus predicts here in the last few days happened about 40 years after his prediction with the destruction of Jerusalem at the hands of the Romans and the emperor Titus. 
in AD 70. And this happened. They didn't leave one stone on top of another. And Jesus says it's because you did not know the time of your visitation. And there is a time of total destruction coming for all God's enemies. There are dire consequences for those who fail to recognize and receive Jesus as king. But if you're still living, there is still time. Jesus has gone away and he is coming back. And when he comes, he will rescue all his people who recognize and receive him as king. And he will judge his enemies. You say, well, why, why hasn't he come back yet? Like you'd think even kind of the events of the, the, the last few months, the last couple weeks, you're like, this, this kind of has to be, he's got to come and fix this. And ultimately, he will come and fix this. That is our hope. But if we're outside of Christ, that's not a day of hope. That's a day to fear. Because that's a day that you'll face God's wrath. Why hasn't he come back yet? Peter tells us in 2 Peter 3 that it's because he's patient with us. That he doesn't want anyone to perish, but is eager for all to come to repentance. So his compassionate call is still going out today. And if you are watching this, it is not too late for you to turn from your sins and to trust in Jesus. No matter how long you've been rejecting him, no matter how bad you've been in your rejection of him, His death on the cross covered every sin of everyone who would ever trust in him. Trust in him today. So recognize and receive Jesus as king. And then for those who recognize and receive him as king, we must rejoice and praise Jesus as king like these disciples. Jesus is a humble, compassionate King who is worthy of our praise and worthy of our glad submission. One day we will see every knee bowed to him. It won't just be a few people falling down to worship him as he rides a colt into Jerusalem. It'll be a people from every tribe, every tongue, and nation bowing the knee in glad submission and singing, worthy is the lamb who was slain. Let's not wait for that day. Let's sing it now. Let's make, by God's grace, our lives a life of rejoicing, a life of praising Jesus, the King who has given his life for us so that even if everything seems to be going wrong for us personally, We can rejoice at the mighty works of God that we have seen and experienced in Jesus. It doesn't mean everything's going to be fixed and everything's going to be fine right now. We still face injustice. We still face suffering. We still face loss. We still are sinned against and sin against other people. One day, all those things will come to an end, but not yet. And so as we live this life, where we have this sorrowful yet always rejoicing. Maybe sorrow has been more of what you've felt in the last months. There are still 
reasons to rejoice. It doesn't minimize the sorrow, but it helps recalibrate us. What is really true? What is really most important? Jesus is king, and he has me. And by his grace, I belong to him. And no one, no matter what they do, can pluck me out of my father's hand. He is holding on to us. And he's stronger than anyone, anything. And he's got us. And he's going to make sure we make it to the end. So even through our tears, even through our cries of how long, O Lord, we can look back at what he's already done for us and praise him and rejoice even as we look forward to to the day when he will come again, when he will right every wrong and make all things new. And then last, having recognized and received Jesus as king, Rejoicing and praising Jesus. Let's help others praise Jesus as king. We don't know how long the time is. The time is short. Jesus is near. Whether the time is short for us personally, whether the time is short for all of us, I don't know that. He told us to be ready. It's important for us to know the time of our visitation and it's important for our neighbors to know the time of their visitation. If we really believe that this news is true, that there's a great cost for rejecting Jesus or ignoring Jesus and we have the truth that there is life and hope that's found only in him. We must not suppress that message, no matter what other important messages we have to send. Those messages must be sent along with Jesus' gospel. Because if we can find agreement on all the things and there's no Christ, in the end, it will not matter. There will not be real justice. There will not be real peace. Because it will only come if it's built on Christ and for Christ. And so we must do everything that we do and say everything that we say like we are ambassadors of the king. The cult had a mission and we have a mission that we have been given to use what we have, whatever influence we have, whatever stuff we have for God's glory. Because he's worthy of our praise, but he's worthy of everyone's praise. And he has made us the means. The stones can cry out, and there can be stones who become children of Abraham. That can happen, but what God has ordained to happen is that people become children of Abraham by faith, and they become those who believe by hearing the word of God. And they hear it from us. Those of us who have the good news, are living like Jesus is our king and are rejoicing and praising the king, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest, both now and forever. Let's pray. God, we thank you that Jesus is the king. Would you help us to see him as 
the great king that he is. That when everything seems swirling out of control, that we would remember that he's the king and he has us. And by your spirit, would you empower us to take the next step in front of us to take in loving our neighbor out of love for Jesus, our king? Would you help anyone watching this? Would you help us not to miss Jesus, the king who has come and is coming, the Lord who will make all things new? Oh God, would you have your way with us? Would we be the people you want us to be, praising you and living like you are the king and that there's no one who's beyond the reach of your good news? Would you help us? Would you strengthen us? Would you lift our eyes to Jesus and would we be changed? In Jesus' name, amen.